Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! What's good, everyone? Welcome to the first edition of the Forbidden Technique podcast from the Fight Site Network, where we're going to be breaking down all the stupid fights that nobody else wants to. My name's Silas Martin, and I'm joined by Christian Reynolds. How are you today, Christian? Are you excited to have fights back this year? Yes. It has been boring for a month, aside from Ogi Kubo being the best. Yeah. Uh, anyone who's been missing MMA over the last few weeks, who didn't catch the Rising New Year's Eve show, if you want to see a man put on the performance of a lifetime, with only the power of love on his side, then go watch Oki Kubo's performance against Kaya Sakura and Ryzen. It was incredible. He, he really fought for his family. It was a beautiful performance. It was a f- fantastic moment. So uh, we're here to break down the first UFC event of the year, main evented by a featherweight kind of crossroads contender match between Calvin Cater and Giga Jakadze. And the surface read on this one for a lot of people is that this is a bad matchup for Calvin Cater because he is shown to be slightly just slower foot and have trouble tracking down really fast people and he's mostly struggled with any people who have like been dedicated kickers against him but i think there's a lot more to the matchup than that and i think there's habits of giga jacates that can play into calvin cater's game cater is one of the more dedicated boxers in the ufc like he's very dangerous given his uh slice of range but he can have trouble finding it and uh, he sometimes runs out of ideas when he pe- people deny him the exchanges that he needs. Um, but most of the people who have been able to do this in any kind of replicable way uh, are people with a decent sense of ringcraft who could jab with him. Um, I'm not going to read too much into Calvin Cater's loss to Max Holloway. Despite being one of the most one-sided shit-kickings in MMA history, I, I just don't think that's instructive for most other matchups in the division. And even though we can't know how Kate is going to look after that year off, I think it's best to just assume he's the same guy. So, Kath, what do you think about Giji Kadze and the threats that he poses to Calvin Cater? I think that the power kicking is going to be a large issue. I think he's going to be able to off-balance Cater a lot. If he arm kicks, that would be intelligent, but it doesn't seem to be a like a really a staple of Giga's game to do attritional arm damage and try and off-balance people. He more just tries to kick people to the body to damage them and then use that to set up the head kick. That feels like a good 70% of his offensive striking game, and then the rest is just ways to set that up or like smaller attritional tools to annoy people into giving up the head kick or body kick. I, I don't know how much he's going to be able to handle Cater's power if he actually lands, because we haven't seen Giga fight someone with power in MMA yet. I feel like the safe bet is to assume he's fine, uh, like chin-wise. But you, you never know. And I, I think that uh, Giga is going to be able to maybe get him out in the second round with kicks. I think he could get Cater out before he actually starts going. Yeah, which you know is it's a difficult call to make because Cater has shown himself to be disgustingly durable and difficult to finish. and. He will keep trying, and he will make adjustments in the fight. Like, you will see him try to compete at kicking range and do stuff like try to shift into hooks to cut people off who are running away from him. 
but he's just you can see that he's not that comfortable doing these things and it, they often seem to be like things that he resorts to as a last resort in the fight and not things that he worked on specifically even though they would like favor him in a lot of matchups but as i was saying earlier like it's really been people with solid ring craft who have who have been able to fluster Calvin Cater. And do you think uh, Giga has shown himself to have the ring craft to, to keep away from Calvin Cater and just deny him the exchanges he needs? Because I have some thoughts about that. I don't think he'll be able to outmaneuver Cater. Cater. I think that most of the dynamic directionality-wise is going to be Cater trying to move forward regardless of whether or not he's cutting off Giga. Yeah, and as I said, even though Cater like, isn't the best at cutting people off of the cage, Giga's not like someone who's who really like creates angles to try and get off the cage. He mostly just like moves backwards and concedes space quite freely. And then we'll just chill on the fence for a little bit and then do a huge blitz to try and get off the cage. So there's definitely an opening there for someone who just will stand their ground and just hit him as he shifts at them. I'm looking at his one knock- knockout loss in glory. You definitely see some of his defensive liabilities as a boxer, like some of the issues with uh, the mechanics with his punches that leave him open, not staying behind his shoulders. And the fact that that there was the second uh, fight in a one-night tournament, but he gassed himself out in a nine-minute fight prior to that, just throwing a bunch of stupid kicks that weren't doing anything. So it's definitely the question if Kata can just hang around and try and get a big counter, since uh, the shot that knocked him out in that fight was... uh, I believe it was a right straight as he was going for a kind of sloppy wide left hook. It's definitely the kind of thing that Calvin Cater could land. So Calvin Cater tends to prefer his opponent to either be somewhat stationary when maybe take a few steps back at a time or come towards him. He doesn't really like when people like circle away from him, which isn't going to be a huge issue in this matchup, and at least not towards the fence. I, I don't expect at least. But Giga is liable to just get fucking murked when he goes for a blitz, I feel. Mm-hmm. Like, he was getting cross-countered the fuck up by Brandon Davis, of all people, like, not that long ago. Like, yeah, he's improved as an MMA fighter, but his fundamental base and experience is supposed to be as a striker, and if you're getting cross-countered up by Brandon Davis, then that doesn't necessarily say great things for you if you're fighting Calvin Kaya. So, um... I'm going to pick Calvin Kaya because I can, just to be durable and find the opening he needs to just not gig it out. Um, but I'm not going to be surprised if Calvin Kaya just can't get past the kicks, has a huge issue with the speed, and just gets his liver kicked out of his body. Um, so what, what, what are you picking, Cast? I'm picking Giga by finishing the second round, probably head kick if I had to be pressed. But it's not, uh, it's not even to think that he's going to be shot after the max fight. It's just any guy that is known for being durable, I'm just going to pick them to get finished eventually. He's not young. He's about the same age as Giga. Uh, but I, I, I could see Giga just having the power to actually put him out with a head kick because Cater's been eating shit, but he's been eating good shots from like really good hitters or people that put a lot of attrition but he hasn't eaten like a massive head kick yet that I've seen. And I feel like Giga is going to be able to kind of track him down and early, especially because uh, I, I don't think it's even reading too much into it to expect Cater to be a little tentative for the early rounds. Cause he already isn't tentative, but he kind of starts slow. And if you're doing that after one of the worst shit kickings of all time, uh, and that, that could get you head kicked. I feel. And I'm always going to pick finish. 
Okay, so next on the card, we have a, an honestly completely baffling piece of matchmaking in the women's flyweight division between Caitlin Chukagin and Jennifer Meyer. And I say that not just because they've like already fought to Valentina and both lost very clearly and there's kind of you know lost in ways that there's really no interest in seeing them rematch Valentina anytime in the future. Um, but also, but yeah, both of us forgot that they fought like two years ago. And it was a pretty underwhelming performance by both, even though Chukagian kind of just won the last 30 seconds of each round, clearly, to get the round. Mm-hmm. Or to get the round. Like most of the fight was uh, Jennifer Meyer just like being very plodding and limited, and Caitlin Chukagian just throwing leaf blower volume from miles away and keying very loudly, and then just having, you know, just good enough defensive wrestling up against the cage whenever Jennifer Meyer would go for body lock stuff whenever she got her there. So um, I'm. I don't see any reason to pick anything else to happen at this point. I haven't seen any like particular developments that lead me to believe that the dynamic's going to be any different there. Yeah, it feels like the fight's going to be basically the exact same as the last fight, except maybe uh, she might get a takedown on Chukagian. Which, if she yeah. gets it early, then that could be a lot different. It could just change the dynamic overall if Chukagian has to worry about it. But it, it, there's no real reason, I, th- I don't think, to expect Chukagian to be getting taken down more than she did in the first fight, mm-hmm. which was very little. Didn't really get a, temp- a takedowns attempted on her in, until the third round, I believe. Um, I think there was, there was a couple of attempts up against the cage in the first and second round, and Chukagian just like knew what to do. And then she got put on her back in like the last 30 seconds of the fight, but it wasn't enough. Yeah, and then she won from there. She she put on a ton of offense with uh, little, little pitter-patter right hands to the body from bottom, which, you know, unironically won the round for her, even though Maya was on top because Maya did nothing with it. Maya's more of a go-for position than try and get a submission rather than do any form of ground-and-pound offense, regardless of how much is left in the round. Okay, so next we have a flyweight matchup between Brandon Royville and Hegerio Bontarine. And I'm just glad to see uh, Brandon Royville get like get a little break in the UFC since like he came in, debuted against Tim Elliott, um, got into an insane scrambling war with him and submitted him in, I think, the second round, which I've found tremendously impressive for someone making their UFC debut. You know, this is Tim Elliott who traded guillotines with Demetrius Johnson for five rounds and didn't get tapped. This is granted a slightly more weathered Tim Elliott, but still just a very experienced guy and a, a, a very skilled and, and also very weird and tricky grappler. And Brandon Royville had an absolute banger with him. It was a fight of the night that was almost entirely grappling based. Which is very uncommon. And I do not think that Hegerio Bontarine is even as good of a grappler as Tim Elliott. I tend to agree. He has a pretty slick back control game, but it wasn't enough to finish Kaikara France with like several minutes of being on his back from a variety of positions and spending a long time fighting hands to try and work for a submission. And as soon as he let it go, he just got knocked out immediately. Bontarine has shown some counter-punching ability, which is, you know, is <laughs> probably enough against Brandon Royville. His chin is there to be hit even against, you know, uh, guys with massive reach disadvantage. You know, he was absolutely eating shit from Kaikara France when he landed the funniest spinning elbow of all time. Um, but I think his his ability to scramble, his urgency with 
getting people off of his back and his ability to make things happen in transitions, I think is just going to be very difficult for uh, Bontarine. And, and particularly, you know, if he gets his weird pressure volume going, I just don't think that's, that's a pace that, that Bontarine can particularly sustain. And I, I think this is uh, the first fight of the card we're both going to pick the same fighter because I really just don't see a way that Bontarine's going to be able to maintain the back because it's really just back takes and like single shot counters that are, are going to be able to win Bontarine the fight. But I don't think he's going to be able to keep the back for a, enough time to win rounds. And I don't think he's going to be able to actually submit Brandon Royval because Royval got submitted by Pantoja, but that's Pantoja who has beaten the champion of the division twice. And also, uh, has like gone life and death, former champion. Like he's just a very good fighter. And, 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 and is just, a. a- a tremendous back take specialist. Yeah, he he, he gets the back all the time. And he's a lot better at keeping it than Bontarine seems to be. He's more athletic than Bontarine. He kind of just has every advantage. And I feel like it would be strange to expect Bontarine's uh, particular, like, I keep the back and then I, I get the submission. Why would that work over Pantoja's, who's equally good at it in some regards and then much better in others? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Bontarine has his moments where he tags Royval up or gets the back, but I, uh, I just Royval is too weird and scrambly. He he's got a crazy chin, and he just it's all he keeps trying to make things happen. Um, so I think, uh, uh, what, what are you picking him by? <laughs> uh, bulldog choke. I <laughs> I'll throw something in weird uh, in the in the second round. I'll say. All right, let's go. So opening the main card, we've got uh, a heavyweight bout between Jake Collier and Chase Sherman. I don't really have anything to say about this one. Sloppy heavyweight banger. Jake Collier is probably going to get knocked out. What do you think, Garth? I have loads to say about it. I I don't have that much to say about it. But Jake Collier is a pretty small heavyweight uh, comparatively. And Chase Sherman is a pretty large heavyweight. And Chase Sherman is an all right boxer. He's, he's not super deep, but he'll throw a jab. He'll move his head a very small amount. It's very stiff, but he'll do it. Whereas Collier will try to have good head movement, but it's normally just him taking his eyes off of his opponent. Uh, he reaches for punches a, a little bit, not a ton. It, it's enough that it's going to get him hurt against uh, Chase Sherman if Chase commits to throwaways or anything. Or it commits to like throwing away things than landing power offense. The directionality isn't really anything special. It's probably going to be in the middle or Jake Collier getting tagged up and then pushed back incidentally. So I don't expect the matchup to be super dynamic. I don't think it's going to have any wrestling. And I, I am picking Jake Collier to get knocked out probably like early in the second, maybe late in the late in the second because he he gets like really tired he's he's more composed than chase sherman but chase sherman's just more dangerous when he's tired still even though he's not composed at all he's just willing to to like actually still land hard whereas collier loses all of his power once the fight goes a little bit late so i'm picking chase sherman ko1 what about you or ko2 um yeah i mean yeah that's that's fine i agree (laughs) Oh yeah, there's not very much to say about the fight. It's 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 you see what you get. It's the heavyweight sloppy banger that, that that every card needs just just for balance. Yeah, right at the beginning of the main card, like always. Got to have heavyweights on the main card. They're so big. 
Yeah, it adds to the overall weight of the the event, literally. And then so on the prelims, the prelims are not without their charms, but it's, you know, it's a few kind of uh, interesting individual fighters, not necessarily in particularly compelling matchups. Uh, Bill Algio's fighting, or as I call him, we have Corey Sandhagen at home. Uh, Gabriel Benitez fighting TJ Brown. It's an interesting kind of uh, featherweight journeyman's matchup because of featherweight, even the journeymen are good. I think Gabriel Benitez is a pretty good counterpuncher. His directionality leaves a little bit to be desired in most contexts. He kind of lets his opponent establish who's going forward, forward or backwards, but he can competently handle himself going both forward and backwards, and he's pretty decent position-wise. He doesn't let himself get put on the fence for too long most of the time. He'll normally throw back a few shots and then try and circle out or you know quickly get to the center. And a lot of the time, his shot selection is just throw a left body kick, throw a left low kick, throw a left high kick, which is functional enough, especially for a guy that is just very standard southpaw counterpuncher a lot of the time. His uppercut's very nice. I think against TJ Brown, that's in particular going to be a tactic that's very useful, and it's going to be reliable for him. Okay, so I think TJ Brown is a fairly favorable matchup for Gabriel Benitez because he's someone who also doesn't enforce a particularly strong directionality, and and he also mostly tends to get stuck in uh, mid-range exchanges where he's going to be stuck on the end of Mowgli's kicks and then having to close distance behind his jab and getting in, into exchanges where he's likely to be countered. His kicking game mostly relies on going southpaw to be able to throw open side kicks from his left side, which is going to be interesting against against a dedicated southpaw whose game also heavily relies on open side kicks and will also be likely to throw a lot of low kicks if TJ Brown needs to step in with a southpaw jab to close distance. Now, if he can comfortably stay southpaw and, and have some ideas about defending the kicks, then jabbing from southpaw and keeping some hand traffic in Gabriel's face could be good for him. But... Overall, it seems like he lacks the uh, consistent pressure and phase-shifting threats and like hellacious pace that it took Billy Quarantillo to get Gabriel Benitez out of there. I think Benitez's defense can get him into a lot of trouble, especially when he's moving backwards, because he his reactions have kind of slowed as he's gotten older, it seems. He's not shot at all. He he's definitely has power. He's still fast with his hands. His kicks are still pretty good. But... A lot of the time, his defense just kind of falls apart because he doesn't see things coming in time. He'll get cracked by things that he used to not get cracked by as consistently. Uh, he, he's never been good defensively, really, but he's been a bit sharper in the past and at least seen things coming better and been able to take a shot a little bit better. Brown and his consistent pattern of ducking a lot whenever he's entering and really just kind of having predictable head movement a lot of the time, I feel like leans towards Benitez's favor, but also Benitez slowing down a bit in his uh, his accuracy and reactions as he's gotten older. It may make it to where he has to settle into the fight a little bit longer before he can actually get his power off, and I think that Brown can take advantage of that. I think it's a fight where both guys have a way that they can win somewhat consistently, but whichever one of them presses it, I'm kind of unsure of. I think that if Brown pushes... Benitez to the fence and tries to rely on throwing a lot of volume to get him to the fence and then sitting down on shots once he gets him like kind of square against the fence and trying to throw counters back then he can bait out bad counters and then punish him for it but Brown hasn't shown to be the type of hitter that can really seal the deal in the UFC so far so if he can actually finish Benitez that would be very impressive 
and I think the Benitas, if he just really goes hard with the kicks more so than even usual, and especially kicking the leg because Brown has issues taking leg kicks. And I don't think there's a lot he can do if Mowgli starts getting momentum because he can definitely hurt him. I think both guys can hurt each other, but I think that Mowgli is a lot more dangerous in like the initial exchange rather as it goes a bit longer to the exchange. Unless the fights, you know, in the third or so round, whenever Brown gets more tired, because he does get very tired. I think that it's mostly going to be one-way traffic for Benitez in ex- like deep exchanges. But if there's one guy you you got to watch out for, you you better watch out for on the prelims. It's uh Vyacheslav Borshev. Um, this is a guy that we saw on the Contender series who supposedly has a very extensive amateur kickboxing background in Russia. Not against any notable competition, but when you watch him fight, you can just see the benefits of of that kind of experience in a pure striking art. I mean, he got a beautiful left hook knockout in his Contender series fight, um, where he had like one of the funniest post-fight interviews you'll ever see. Where at first there was just a really endearing moment where Laura Sanko like uh, asked him about the knockout and was expecting him to get into some serious technical depth, and he was like, "Yeah, I kind of just threw a left hook. The guy got knocked out. It was pretty cool." And then, um, uh, so he goes by the name Slava Claus, and at the end of his post-fight interview, he sung "Slava Claus is coming to town." So. Uh, yeah, interesting striker and a fucking character. This is, this is a guy to look out for, in my opinion. Uh, Karth, what do you think about uh, Vyacheslav? He has very nice shot selection. He is tough as hell. He can take a pretty good shot, and his defense doesn't falter too much whenever you start really pressing him. Like He, he can hang in tough whenever you're really going at him, and he doesn't really give up at all, it doesn't seem. And his grappling's likely to get better and better. You know, he's at a good camp. Team Alpha Male's very good for a aspiring striker that wants to get decent at grappling. Yeah, you definitely see uh, the composure just in that experience that he has um, in that LFA fight where he gets dropped very badly and then mounted up against the cage and then just comes out for the second round and is still just confident, doesn't fight any differently and is able to put the guy away after a rough start. So that's always good to see in a prospect. He relies a lot on a high guard, but it's pretty adaptive. And he can punch off kicks and kick off of punches. And he can move with his strikes in all directions. Things that are basically uh, just standard requirements for kickboxing, even a not particularly high level, but things that almost just immediately put your head and shoulders above the average MMA striker. And his footwork and positioning tend to kind of insulate the fact that his defense is a little one note. Generally, he has a pretty good defensive uh, arsenal whenever he needs to land a counter. It's mostly just if you start throwing volume at him, he gets a little, he just puts up the high guard and then pivots a lot of the time, which is effective enough. You don't really have to get too creative about it, especially at the level he's been fighting so far. Uh, His left hook was fantastic. It was very standard. He mentioned as much that his left hook is pretty standard in that situation. Like, he just saw the opening for a left hook and threw it. It wasn't anything super crafty or creative, but it was very nice. He saw his opponent step in really over-exaggerated with a right hand that was more of a throwaway, and then once the right hand cleared his head, he was like, cool, I see a left hook opportunity, and then punched him as his opponent shifted weird, thinking that he was about to track Vyacheslav heading in one direction, but then he slipped out the other and threw a left hook. It was very nice. Also, Brian Kelleher's fighting. Brian Kelleher's always fun. That's pretty much everything to talk about on this card. 
Uh, if you'd enjoyed this content and you enjoy the content that the fight site puts out, then consider supporting them on Patreon. You get an absolutely absurd amount of very high quality analytical content for a very small donation. And you get to be part of a cool community full of interesting and smart people who know lots of stuff about fighting and are fun to watch fights with. So come hang out, support the fight site on Patreon. Peace. Peace.